With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is Archery Unfiltered, the show that cuts out all the nonsense and gets right to the core of what it takes to make you a better archer. Guten Tag, fuckos. Uh, Archery and Filters is back for with another episode. Um, yeah, I know, I know, people are getting pissed because I'm not cutting an episode every week, guys. I'm trying, I'm trying to cut episodes as much as I can. All right, but I'm old. Uh, we're like, we're up there. I think we're at about like eighty some odd episodes now. Maybe I'll do something special if we can hit 100. If I can hold that to 100, maybe we'll do something special. Who knows? Who knows? It is deer season right now, and I know this is not a hunting podcast, so I will not talk to you guys about hunting stuff, but I was I was raised by a very, um, in my mind, a very badass deer hunter, and from a very young age, um, he took me deer hunting with him, and as a kid, I was a little spoiled, fat, uh, Asian kid, so I never really appreciated it. I just wanted to go home and play Street Fighter, right? Um, now, as an older gentleman, there's nothing I like more than cherishing time with my dad and going to go try to, you know, try to shoot deer. So that is taking up a lot of my time. Aside from that, uh, I love playing with my kids. So <laughs> archery is kind of taking a back seat. I'll, I promise not to like deprive you guys. All right. Um, but a lot of cool stuff is, you know, happening with archery right now. Um, tonight, I'm interviewing Blake Jerome and Sean Elza. All right. What do we know about those two guys? Well, one, Sean Elza is the guy that brought the mental game to Archery Unfiltered. He, and this episode is going to be badass because he has even more for you guys for the mental game. Um yeah, Blake is full of information as far as prep, what it takes to get ready for events, everything. Like, I don't know what I'm going to call this episode even. It's like a master class. Uh, whatever James Lipton. You guys remember that guy, that bald guy that, eh, you guys are probably too young for that. But there used to be this bald guy that would have actors on inside the actor's studio. It's kind of like that, but with professional archery. Um, and... Uh, you know, I say in this episode, my show is, is really geared towards helping you guys, the Archery Unfiltered uh, listener, at getting better at the sport. And um, these two guys pull out all the stops tonight to try and help that. Um, one thing I wanted to do was promote Blake's new podcast coming up. If you guys are, you know, pissed off at Archery Unfiltered because it's, you know, every other week now versus every week, you can fill that, that other week with Blake's podcast, Pursuing Perfection, uh, available everywhere there are podcasts. Um, it's a pretty pretty badass show. Um, you guys know Blake is, you know, he's kind of like the juggernaut right now. He's crushing everything. So, 
you know, if you want to hear the juggernaut talk about being a juggernaut, that's the place to go. Uh, you know, for everyone else, if you guys want to hear some, you know, some poo-poo jokes here or there, sprinkled in with your archery, there's archery unfiltered, all right? <laughs> but um, you guys know, in between poo-poo jokes, I would like to help and bring you guys the best information I can. So, uh, this is pretty cool. You know, Blake and, and Sean both volunteered, like, to come back and do this. And it's like, you know, I start to lose the, the gusto to make this happen. And these guys are helping push me to keep it going. So I, um, you know, I was talking about possibly giving up the show for a little bit. Uh, I'm not going to do that. All right. I'm going to nut up and keep it going. Uh, I'll just do it like a little less frequently, but you know, when indoor starts rolling around, I'll get back on it. I'll do it more frequently, but I'm not going to abandon you guys. We, we got we got shit to talk about still, okay? Not hunting stuff, but, you know, we got <laughs> we got shit to talk about. So, anyway, uh, I'd like to start this. Uh, I'll get the ads out of the way first tonight, okay? Uh, DB Custom Coatings, my friends Darren and Ben out of Napa. As always, they are some of the few people that have bought equipment for this show, <laughs> to because they love information too, and they want they want information about archery, so they help fund this show. Um, some of my most favorite people on the planet, and they make bows look great. They Cerakote bows; they're fucking awesome. Uh, they shoot archery on top of it, so it's not like you're getting your bow Cerakoted by a rifle. Uh, a guy that just does rifles. Darren does do rifles also, but he he does bows. He does everything. Um, Darren's so good at seracoding that other countries think he's using some kind of a robot to do it, <laughs> and that he doesn't tell them that he is the robot. So DB Custom Coatings out of Napa. You guys can hit him up on Instagram DB Custom Coatings, and then the other sponsor to the show is Carbon Craft Stabilizers, made by my man. Brian Webb at Impact Archery. You can call Brian Webb to order them, or you can call Rudy Sandoval at West Coast Archery and place an order if you really want to try them. They're super good stabilizers. You know, I got the, the demo pair I can send you if you want to try them. If you guys ever want to shoot my bars, uh, just hit me up. I'm always at an event somewhere, you know. Uh, otherwise, I urge you to get a, get a set. Try them, and uh, if you don't like them, Tell us why. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that joke sucked. Um, yeah, those are the sponsors. Um, let's see. Aside from that, I wanted to talk about you know it, I don't know if you guys have seen it. West Coast Archery, they sponsor me individually. They are independent of the podcast, but they have a pretty sick online store. If you guys want to check that out, if there's anything you need. I'm a, you know, I'm always buying gold tip weights or points. I'm such a whore with that stuff, but you know, I can order it through West Coast. They, they always have stuff in stock. Um, they're good on shipping too. They're good people. Uh, they, you know, that's why I like to go up there. Aside from being a shop shooter for them, they, I, they're easily my favorite. So, uh, in this show, I'm talking to Sean Elza, Blake Jerome. Right? It's kind of cool uh, talking to two champions like this. I. 
I don't feel, I feel like I'm just a regular, I feel like I'm just a club shooter talking to two pros, right? And I know I have my pro card, but I want you guys to know that I don't, I don't feel like, I don't feel like this quote elite shooter. I'm not an elite shooter. <laughs> um, you know, I, I did all my winning back when the bar was a little bit lower, back when Madonna was still hot. You guys remember then? Uh, that's when I was doing good, when she didn't look like an alien. And um, these guys, like Sean has easily gone further than I could ever think of going in the sport, and Blake is the current, you know, guy that's dominating the sport. So they're good guys to listen to. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy this. It's a long episode, so there's lots of information, uh, a lot of stuff for you guys to to go over with, and you know, you might have to listen to this episode twice. Um, it's the first time we do like a roundtable episode, and um, which is where you know have two people on at once. I, no, you know what? I think I had um, Alan and uh, uh, his outlaw partner, my homeboy, my homie. Jacob, Jacob Barber, and um, yeah, they were both on this show. So this isn't the first round table. Even though I am, I'm, you guys are gonna hear me say it like two or three times. That this is the first time. It's actually the second time. <laughs> and <laughs> you know what? Now that I'm remembering it, I did a round table in fucking Reading too. Jesus, dude, I tell you. So this is the problem. All right, someone suggested microdosing. All right, and I start. I was like, you know what? more is always better so i started macro dosing with like you know take your pick weed mushrooms cocaine whatever Eh, eh, not a good idea trust me sobriety probably the best and and i'm not one of those guys that's gonna push sobriety but damn macro dosing bad idea all right guys uh enjoy the episode um throw any feedback my way or you can contact these guys directly they're very open about how you can contact them and uh yeah Onward. All right. Enjoy. All right. And I am here with Blake Jerome and Sean Elza. Thank you guys for coming on. Yeah, man. Of course. Yeah. Anytime, man. We got a couple of, uh, this is like uh, a master class now. <laughs> we get two, <laughs> two uh, complete badasses in the sport. Uh, we get to have a conference call kind of to talk about field archery. This is the first conference call I've ever done. So. I'll just try not to talk over you guys. <laughs> no worries. I haven't been, haven't been on a three-way call since I was like 14. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, before I jump into talking about Mechanicsburg, um, Field Nationals is coming up this weekend. Or I guess it'll be next weekend. Um, I just want to talk about Blake's new podcast, Pursuing Perfection. It's Episode one is out. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it turned out pretty well. Yeah. Um, I, I've, I've gotten good feedback so far, so yeah. we'll, we'll see where it goes. It's pretty cool. I'd, I'd imagine you're going to you're gonna pick the brain of Sean in a little bit. Yeah, I think I think he's up next. So. <laughs> That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Should, yeah. Um, should be pretty fun. D- definitely. Uh, I like the concept behind your podcast, Blake, where you were saying that every episode we will come away learning something you know? Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I mean, that's the goal, right? With these, I mean, you know, it's not, people don't just want to sit around and, and listen to us, you know, talk shit about whatever. I mean, people, 
people well, hopefully want to pick something up, right? So. That is like 90% of my show. Like, I, I, <laughs> I, I think I, I try to do like a lot of like um, instructional stuff, like a lot of tips. Like, that's why I get you guys like you guys on, right? Is so that, you know, you can educate. And I educate sure. to the best of my ability, but sometimes I just got to do some filler. <laughs> so I, got, even got, I even have episodes called filler episodes. <laughs> And I, I mean, I think that works too, right? But I mean, I don't know with, with what I want to do. I just, uh, I don't know. And I want it to be, honestly, kind of like I said in the intro episode, I want it to be less of a how-to mm-hmm. and more of a, a and more of a what kind of person does it take? And that's that's kind of what I'm going to explore with, 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 you know, at least the first few episodes with a few different people. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a few people in mind that I want to have on there and just kind of ask that question. And these are people that, either are or have been at the highest levels in archery. And I just want to just, you know, what does it take? What does it take in your mind? Mm -hmm. And so that'll be kind of the first couple of episodes. And then after that, maybe it'll evolve into more of a how to, you know, how do you do this? How do you do that? But at least at first, there's just no real literature out there Mm -hmm. that covers what type of person it takes. Everything that's out there that's on the market or any podcast out there is always telling you how you should set up a release, how you should set up a bow. And it's less about, this is the type of mindset that it takes to actually get there. So that's kind of the direction that I want to go, at least at first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, Sean had touched on that when we had talked about how, um, you know, he was looking at it through every avenue to to get better. You know, sports psychology, endless hours of practice, you know. So I think that I think that what you run into and obviously not going to spoil the whole like, what does it take to be? But I think so many people have the tendency to want to do, oh, it's got to be the bow or it's got to be the equipment. It's got to be this. It's got to be that. And it's like, no, dude, it's you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and once you dive, I'm hoping, you know, like what I'm getting, because that first episode was good or, you know, and but I think that what hopefully we can get across the people and Blake can get across the people as these episodes kind of roll through is that it truly comes down to just you and your drive and what it's going to, you know, what you're going to put in if you actually want to be good at this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So. I agree. It's almost like investing in yourself. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's exactly it. And, and the issue is that like Sean just said, there's just not very many people that have that mindset. There's, there's so many people out there and I, I could, I could give, I could drop so many names, but there's so many people out there that just, they just think that it's, it's, they think that they they have the ability and the talent already and the bow is what's holding them back or the arrows <laughs> or the tuning they think it's something that they haven't figured out in the equipment and right. and you know they'll come to you and they'll be like what what have you figured out what have you done and it's like you, you don't understand man it's the fact that i get up at 4 a.m and start shooting my bow every day that's what i've done mm-hmm. so you know and and, that, and that's the separation exactly well you know, <laughs> maybe I'll cross off some of these some of these talking points I have. Then <laughs> I have I, I have um you know I've listener questions for both of you guys um that we'll get into in a little bit. You know, um one of the things I wanted to ask you about Blake was you know in your first episode I won't you know I don't want for my listeners I urge everyone to go listen to Blake's podcast. I, I think as I start to step away from doing podcasts, I think your podcast is going to be the perfect thing to. Um, kind of take that place and educate or, or just, I know you said you didn't want it to be like a how-to, but it'll kind of bring to light, you know, what is needed 
to get to that next level. I always thought my show was kind of like how to take the club shooter and bring the club shooter up a little bit. And I think you're kind of like taking the high level shooter and taking them up a little bit. Um, Yeah, that's kind of, I think that's exactly, I think that's it. I think you nailed it right there is there, there's, there's so many different people out there that, and, and, and I think that you could do what I'm doing if you really wanted to, but I think that there's so many people out there that know how to get the beginning shooter to the next step but there's just not a lot out there that talks about how to get a high level shooter to the most elite levels and what that really entails. And and that's kind of where we're going with it. And like I said, it might evolve into something else. I mean, if people are texting me and they're like, dude, we don't care to hear about this. We want to know how you set up your release, then maybe we'll do something else, you know, but <laughs> at, at, at least at first, this is the direction that we're going to go. Right. I think it'll interest people a lot too, because I, I truly think that a lot of people, you know, like when, you know, when I was on the podcast last time with Wendell, like just kind of slightly diving into the mental game and things like that. It's like the amount of people that really have zero clue about the mental game and like certain aspects of thought process and thinking and whatnot was kind of mind blowing. You know, I mean, I had a handful of people reach out to me that were just like, dude, that was like, that was incredible. I've listened to it three or four times already. And I'm like, what you know like you you listen to that three or four times like i didn't realize (laughs) you know i didn't really realize that so many people had like you know not like as little knowledge on it i guess you know and so it's it's really interesting because i think that people are craving that next step you know they want to know what it's going to take to get there and you know if it, it you know with your podcast blake and with yours window like being able to kind of explain these things and talk about those higher level thought processes that it takes to be a good shooter i think is really going to probably draw a lot of listeners and hopefully help a lot of people you know Mm -hmm. yeah i i would agree i i got a lot of messages sean that were like dude this is the stuff that i need to hear like this is what i've been waiting for from a whole bunch of different people and you know i i asked people to you know send us some questions like let, let's get some stuff the kind of questions i got were were pretty you know it, it, was, it was like simple stuff it was like have sean tell us a breathing uh a breathing routine or something like that you know what i mean mm-hmm. but i think just the fact that we had touched on the mental side you're you are easily the most knowledgeable person on the mental game that has ever been on my show I think a lot of people were blown away because it's kind of like a mythical, it's almost like a, like a mythical thing, you know, like they hear about the mental game. They don't really know about the mental game, you know? Right. You, you hear everybody talk about like, Oh, you you know, you got to have a strong mental game, but like, what the hell does that actually mean in the sense of like shooting? Right. A lot of people think like, Oh, the mental, you know, I just need to be a really good shot and then my mental game will come. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you what, I was a really good shot when, and my mental game was trash at one point, right? Like I could shoot my ass off in practice, but when it came down to pressure time, it was like, oh crap, I am really not good at handling this. Mm-hmm. And then I had to dive deep and learn and, and just, you know, practice it and practice it and practice it before I felt like I got to be a good mental shooter right like a good strong mental game shooter and but once i did it was like oh man this makes all the difference in competition and in in winning and shooting elite or high level scores right like Mm -hmm. it made it made everything so much easier right well and 
and and that's the thing you know like all the sports that i played growing up were were like team sports it's sports where where adrenaline is a good thing so as far as having like this strong mental game because in my mind i guess the way that i think about it having a really good mental game in archery is nothing more than saying you're able to control the intense pressure you're able to you know you're able to control the negative thoughts that come in but in like football you don't really have to be able to do that like you use that aggression to your benefit mm-hmm. where in archery you have to you have to curb that adrenaline rush that you're having and you have to be able to to perform even though your body feels more jittery or you you feel you know what i mean so yeah. i mean I, I sean can tell you in the beginning like when i was getting started in the beginning me and him used to practice daily at great northwest and we would bang out vegas round after vegas round after vegas round and even in those first couple of years in practice i would shoot fine you know i'd sit there i'd stand right next to him and shoot 99s 98s every once in a while i'd bang out a 300 and that was pretty standard but then i'd go to a tournament my x count would be trash and and you know, my scores would tank and I mean, not terrible. It's not like I was going out there and banging out anything in the eighties, but you know, I couldn't, I couldn't shoot a 299. I couldn't, I certainly couldn't shoot a 300. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so, so Sean and I have had conversation after conversation after conversation about exactly what we're talking about now, what it takes, you know, that this is the type of mindset that you have to have. You can't worry about what other people around you are doing. You can't worry about trying to beat me or trying to do that. And that's where so many people get stuck. Right. They start to shoot good in practice. They go to a tournament and don't shoot the same score. It's hard. You know, their thoughts get in, their thoughts get in the way. Their their negative mindset gets in the way. And then they either want to quit or they get so, you know, then they start blaming the bow. They think it's this, it's that when really the ability to shoot the bow is there. If you can do it in practice, you can do it in a competition. Yes. Right. If you can't if you can't do it in a competition, but you're doing it in practice, then it's the mental game. Right. It's yeah. nothing. It's nothing more than you just have a weak mind. Mm-hmm. Exactly. 100%. You know, what's really interesting about that is I was just uh, just having this conversation with somebody the other day and it was like, you know, he, he was telling me essentially like, you know, in in practice, I, you know, I feel like I'm just shooting phenomenal. And and then, you know, he goes into the tournament thing and his scores come down a little. And I asked him a simple question. I said, do you score every arrow when you're practicing? And I don't mean like, you know, shoot a game or whatever, like just keep track of how many bullseyes you shot compared to how many arrows you shot. Mm-hmm. And he was like, he was like, well, you know, indoors I do outdoors. I, I don't really keep track. And I was like, well, there's your problem, right? Like part of the problem, at least because your self image, your, your subconscious knows what kind of a shooter you are. Right. So if you're not keeping track and keeping score and training your self image or your subconscious to know that you are a 299 shooter or a 300 shooter you're just you're just flinging arrows and then you're hoping to go to the to the tournament and perform well your brain doesn't know what it's supposed to perform to right right and 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 your brain is typically in tournaments always going to perform at your average or slightly below your average mm-hmm. right like within a hopefully if you're decent at within a couple points right but like i i find it so important to keep track of score like earlier today i was i was shooting and uh i'm getting ready for the state target or 900 round or whatever right so i've been shooting 900 rounds and i'm keeping track of every arrow that i shoot and on average right now with as much practice as i've been doing i've been averaging between like a 94 to a 96 which i'm 
pretty happy with, but I feel like I'm, you know, I'm like right there where I need, you know, a, a little more practice and I should be bumping that average up a little bit. Um, but if I wasn't keeping track, like come this upcoming weekend at the state tournament, I wouldn't really know where I should be. Right. Like right. my brain, I would be like, yeah, I feel like I'm a 299 shooter or, or excuse me, or an 895 shooter. But if I go in there and I roll an 880, I'm like, oh, well, I don't know if that's good or not. And my self-image doesn't know. So, like, you really have to keep track of yourself. Always keep score. Always know where you're at. That way you're training that self-image to perform up to that point. And then it's so much easier when it goes to tournament time when they say, all right, guys, first end for score. Most people tense up, freak out a little bit, get nervous. Well, if you're always scoring yourself, then – it's like, oh, I do this every day. That's all I do. Yeah, you're like I've been, you know? I've been here before. You know, yeah. and and that's yeah. So to to kind of go off of that, you're you're so correct about the self image, right? And and what your subconscious brain thinks about the that your ability that you're at. So if you know that you're an eight ninety five shooter on an American nine hundred round, if your if your subconscious knows that, you could drop all five points in the first end and still score something close to an eight ninety five. Because yeah. your subconscious will be like, oh, shit, we dropped the amount of points that we're allowed to drop. OK, let's put the rest of them in the middle. Right. So yeah. the the subconscious will always keep you somewhere around your average, which is exactly why it's so important. I mean, the, the same thing at the shop, you know, people will stand in there and they'll shoot their they'll shoot. They'll practice Vegas. Right. But they're not scoring. And I'm like, oh, you know, where are you at? You know, what end are you at? And they're like, oh, I'm just shooting. I'm shooting really, really well. I haven't dropped a 10. And I'm like, yeah, well, no shit. You're not scoring, you know, I was like, keep, keep track of your score and actually try and shoot a 300 and see what happens. So they do that. And then they start dropping points because exactly like you said, as soon as your brain starts keeping track, now all of a sudden it's going to put you down to where you should be when you're not keeping track. It's easy. It's basically blank bailing when you're not keeping track. Yeah, exactly. Your brain freaks out and says, "Uh Oh, what am I now? Uh, what, what are we exactly? Um, yeah, 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 because you start getting nervous then because now it matters, right? As soon as you have a scorecard in your hand, it matters. And your brain says, okay, you know, we got to shoot to our average. We got to, you know, because it's it's that same thing. You know, I, I've, I've seen so many people go to tournaments and, and Sean, Wendell, you guys can attest to the fact that people will go to tournaments and they'll be bummed because they didn't shoot a 300. Let's use Vegas as, a, as an example. And they're bummed because they didn't shoot a 300. Oh, yeah. But their high score that they've ever shot is a 296. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. what, what, yeah. what did you think? What, did you really think that you were going to come to the hardest place in the world to <laughs> shoot a bow and and grossly outscore your average? Like, what do you think dude, was going to happen? Dude, the collective yeah. groan from people in Vegas. I'm just like, what did you guys, ex- what did you guys come out here thinking you were going to do? You know, right. And so and so I always try and and go out of my way to congratulate those people that shot at their average or maybe a point above their average, even even if it's Vegas and say their average is a 295 and they banged out a 296. I'm like, dude, awesome. Congrats. You need to be really proud of yourself. That's really, really good. Right now. Good on you. If you go shoot it. If you go shoot a 285, then it's like, oh, yeah, that sucks, man. I understand why you're so upset, you know. But if, you, if you're if you right there at your average, you need to positively reinforce that into your head that, hey, man, I just came to the hardest place probably in the world to shoot a bow mentally, right? I mean, it's, it's all the same, whether you're in your backyard or wherever. But mentally, we make it way harder on ourselves. If you can go there and shoot your average, dude, you need to be you need to be really proud of yourself. We raise our average in practice. 
all, all we're trying to do in a tournament is shoot our average. Yes. We're just, I, I never go to a tournament and think that I'm going to shoot 50 points above my average. I'm just trying to go there and do what I've done in practice. Exactly. Well, and more people need to understand that. Like, I hope that this gets across to people because if more people understood this, I think more people would go to tournaments and leave tournaments happy. Happy. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Instead of looking at the guy, because, you know, you, you see it every time. People just they leave the tournament frustrated because they lost by 50 points. And it's like, I'm shooting at a higher level than you. You should have known going into this thing that you probably weren't going to beat me. And not, you know, not to sound, not to try and come off as arrogant, but, you know, if somebody is averaging 50 points less than me in practice, well, that you're, you're probably going to be somewhere around that far back in a tournament as well. So right. to leave that tournament unhappy, it's like you just, you just, People need to treat this as an individual sport and and worry about their individual and personal growth rather than than where they stack up to everybody else. If you just keep getting better every day, eventually you will be at the top, but it doesn't come overnight. And that's the kind of stuff that people need to understand. You know, that exactly. kind of leads into like one thing I wanted to ask you about, like, um, you know, on your show, um, I, I won't like, you know, I don't want to paraphrase your show and, and take away from it. I want people to go listen to it. But. Um, you guys were having the conversation of, you know, um, the the drive to get better versus the the like, what is the word like hating to lose, you know, and yes. like what drives you more. And Kit was yes. kind of saying like Kit had, I gotta say, I've always thought Kit Pistachio was gonna sound totally different. I was always like, like intimidated <laughs> off of his Facebook pictures. But he's like a really soft spoken dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He, is. <laughs> he was um. But he was saying like he kind of like disagreed with wanting the the hating of losing, and he was like, you know, I think the mindset of just wanting to get better can carry you just as far. Like um, you know, I I, I I just I I still I mean that's his opinion. I don't I don't necessarily agree with him on that. I I think that the people in any sport in anything that you do in life whether it's you know multi billionaires in business whether it's sports whether it's anything that you set out to do i think and from my experience the people that are the most competitive are the people that end up becoming the top tier people mm-hmm. right the people the people that hate the taste of losing so much that they're willing to do anything that it takes they're willing to sacrifice uh, having relationships in their life. They're willing to sacrifice other hobbies. They're willing to sacrifice so much in life in pursuit of that one thing that they really want. And that's what I think it takes to get to the top. I think that if you're just kind of like, yeah, I just want to be better for myself. I just want, you know, that, that is where you should be. You should want to pursue individual, individual growth. I agree. But at the same time, you have to have a hatred of losing. And, and like I talked about in the podcast, when I first started, you know, Sean and Kit and those guys, they were they were destroying me. And I knew that I was going to get beat. I knew I was. Right. But I still hated it. I still didn't like it. And that's what <laughs> drove me to keep going. Right. It's like I, I, I love these guys as as people and as friends. I think they're awesome. I look up to them as shooters, but I still don't like losing to them. Right. Because I'm a competitor. I'm a, you know, I'm a you know, that's just that's how I am. And it's all it's all respectful, good, clean sport. But at the same time, I don't like losing, so I'm going to do everything that I can in my power to make sure that I can be competitive with these guys. And 
So, so you know, in, in Kit's mind, you don't have to have that. I, I disagree. I think that you do have to have that if you want to get if you want to be top tier. Well, right. Well, and maybe and, and maybe that's the difference. You know, I mean, let me ask, Blake, don't you think the hatred of losing holds the potential to poison your love for the sport? Yeah, I mean, yeah, there, there's days that I hate it. You know, there's days it's just like that Serena Williams quote. You know, there's days that I don't feel like getting out of bed and doing it. And there's there's certainly days where I'm like, God damn it, why do I do this? <laughs> but I I personally am so invested in it, mm-hmm. and I've I've put so much of my life into it that there's no way that I could quit at this point. It would all feel like a waste, right? I, so I totally understand it, that, dude. Believe yeah. Me. So 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 there's you know there's no way that I would ever quit. I mean, you you know I oh no if, I, if I don't you, think if you grow asking you if to you quit. grow to hate. Yeah. No, I just mean, you know, if you grow to hate the sport, then you probably didn't, you know, you probably weren't as invested as as an, a super elite level guy would be anyways. You know, somebody right. that really knew right. that they were going to get to the top, you right. know, so. And you know, I, what's interesting is so j- just to kind of feed up that real quick before we change uh-huh. subjects. Is no, totally. Go for I, it. I shot probably damn near two to three hundred arrows a day from the time I was like you know, around 13 up until basically 26 ish, almost 27 when we had our daughter. Right. Mm -hmm. And I loved archery. It was my passion. It was like the thing that I woke up to do. It was like a driving force in my life. But I also got so burned out towards the last, you know, after about 15 years of that, that like when we had our daughter and stuff, cause I, you know, I, I basically stopped shooting for, you know, two or almost three years, mm-hmm. like realistically not really practicing and not really doing anything. And it was crazy because for the that was like the first time in my life where I didn't wake up and have this like insane urge to want to shoot my bow. You know? Mm-hmm. And then but now, like after a couple years off and like stuff now I have like this crazy passion, like this fire growing where I'm like like I get home from work and I'm like, hey, like I'm going down to shoot my bow. Right. Like I, I just I want to shoot. And now it's becoming so much fun again. I feel like I'm a kid again, almost like mm-hmm. excited to shoot. And and I think part of like that whole burnout, part of that whole like, you know, like if your hatred for losing fuels you so much that you end up disliking the sport. I think that it, it comes down to is you didn't really like this that much anyways in the beginning. Right. You didn't have that love and passion for it. Because I think right. most of us that are are so dedicated to shooting our boat, you know, like Blake, for instance, right? Like wakes up early, stays up late. Like it all comes down to not only does he hate losing, but he loves shooting. You know, and like you have to have that that like that love for it to be willing to to work so hard, you know, like as a competitor, I'm super competitive, but I'm only competitive in certain things in my life. Like there's some stuff where I could honestly give two shits if somebody beats me at it, but archery is not one of those things, right? Like archery and like wrestling growing up and like certain stuff is like, I don't like to lose. I don't want to lose, but I'll tell you what, if we play thumb wars and you beat me, like, don't get me wrong. I'm going to try to beat you, but it's not going to, it's not going to upset me if I lose. Right. Like, you know, so there's, I think where I was trying to, because it's for so much that you're willing to dedicate it to the point where then like as a competitor, if you hate it, hate losing so much, 
you're willing to put even more effort and more work in. Because nothing pissed me off more growing up than somebody would walk up to me and be like, oh, you're just naturally good at this. Right. I'd be like, they didn't see how much you. work you put into it. Exactly. I, I I'd be like, dude, you don't see. Yeah. Like, you don't see the 300 arrows a day mm-hmm. or the blank bell at night or the fact that I used to take a Reinhardt block target into my bedroom of my parents' house and stand there until one, you know, 12 midnight, one o'clock shooting my blow, bow blank bell at six feet because I couldn't make it to the archery range, you know? Mm-hmm. So, anyways, my rant. No, there, they, there's probably there, there's probably nothing more frustrating in the world than somebody saying that you're just you're just naturally, naturally good. good yeah or it, I, it's to so people that work their ass off right and and that's everybody at a top level you know if you if you've ever read malcolm gladwell's book outliers he talks about the fact that there's no such thing as prodigies there's no right. such person that has ever picked up anything and been world class at it it's not mm-hmm. right we, he was saying it took like my, 10,000 hours. Hold on, my dad's calling. <laughs> <laughs> hold on. Okay. Uh, yeah, so so you know, if you if you read if you read that book, he talks about there's no there's no such thing as a prodigy. Right. And he, uh, he also says it, it takes like 10,000 hours to 10,000 10, hours to get to a world-class level yeah. at any time. That's just to get right? to the dance. And, and and so no, I'm not just naturally good at it. I might have <laughs> just and just like I talked about, you know, just the other day, I might have started at a little bit higher level because I am a coordinated person, mm-hmm. but yeah. I was I was nowhere near a world class level, and I was nowhere near. I my starting point was nowhere near good enough to win anything. I just didn't start super super low on on the scores, right? I was always up yeah. there, but in no way was I good enough to win anything, you know. So yeah, no. If if you want to get good, you're gonna have to work. There's no way around it, right? I, yeah. I would agree with that. I don't think I've ever won anything without having put work in, you know. And going back to what Sean was saying, I, I just wanted to say real quick that thing you had said, Sean, about the guy that quits didn't love the sport. I totally agree with that. I almost feel like the guy that quits is the guy that wanted something from the sport, is the guy that wanted the sport to, to give something to him versus mm-hmm. just enjoying the, you know, the act of doing it. Right. Or they looked at it and they thought, you know what, like, I might actually be able to win something in my life. Right. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like those people that go in there and quit, it's like they hadn't won other things or they hadn't been successful at other things. Or or maybe they have, but they looked at archery and they were like, man, like this would be my way to get some fame or some popularity or or whatever. You know, I don't know what most people's motivation is at it, but like those people and Blake, I think you're talking about this in your podcast is like those people come in and they put so much effort in for a year and then they don't achieve what they were hoping for. And they're like, screw this. I'm done. And it's like, dude, I've spent 10 years or 15 years or whatever doing this. And, you know, and it's like, you're not going to come in and win this shit overnight. You know, these guys, you know, Blake's been putting three, you know, whatever, two, 300 plus arrows a day or more for the last, like what, eight, nine years or so you know like exactly. I, re- I remember us having this conversation in great northwest and and i think you asked me you said what is it going to take for me to to you know beat you and i was like well i shoot 200 arrows a day so you need to shoot 300 arrows a day or more basically and you know to be able to go to get past me and get up to that level and honestly out of everybody that i've ever told that i think you are literally probably the only person that's ever actually been like oh 
okay. And then put the work in, you know, like it, it takes such a high level of work ethic to get to that level that 99.9% of people are like, yeah, no, not doing it. Right. Well, that, and that's it. And people like, you know, it's usually, it's right around that year marker is where people will usually give up. They'll go through a full indoor season. They'll go through a full outdoor season. And by the end of that year, if, if they're not even close to winning or they're not competitive, they're done. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, dude, I've been doing it for 10 years. You know, you know what I mean? Like, why do you think that you get to start beating me when you've only been doing it for a year? I've, I've wasted 10 years of my life into this. And, <laughs> and, and, and you have to, you have to get to a place where you enjoy the journey and you, you know, you enjoy you, you, so many people just want that instant gratification. And like you said, they want the fame out of it, or they want, you know, they want people to respect them or like them rather than doing it for personal growth and enjoying the journey and enjoying just the personal growth that, that doing this sport teaches you because you learn a whole lot more than just getting good at archery. You, you learn how to deal with your own anger management. You're, you know, there's so, mm-hmm. there's so, there's so many life values that you can get out of pursuing something at a high level like that, whether it's archery or any other sport, you know what I mean? People, people that do anything at a world-class level are usually very grounded people. They're just, mm-hmm. they're just, you know yeah. what I mean? Because they just understand the type of work that it takes to get to a super high level. Yeah. yeah. So, have you guys ever heard the phrase um, "master one thing, master everything"? It's kind yeah, of like you master yeah. one thing, you understand how much work it takes, and I think exactly. Uh, and and you know, it, it's kind of like I used to play a ton of golf, and and I I certainly never got to a high level at all. I was okay, but you know, I used to love it. But I love watching golf on TV, mm-hmm. and <laughs> it's because I understand what it what it takes to be able to play golf which is a very hard game to be able to play at that level and i draw so many similarities from golf to archery as far as the mental game because if you think a negative thought you shank that thing in the bushes right and you know <laughs> yeah. and and these these guys are playing for millions of dollars and thousands of people are standing around them watching them drive this ball off the tee i can't imagine the pressure of oh. like hey i need to hit this fairway for 10 million dollars right and yeah. you know and i need to par this hole so i can win the us open i can't i can't imagine the pressure and and so i love watching these guys overcome that and so golf is is by far my favorite sport to watch because i understand it i, uh. I, I not not understanding the game i understand the the mental pressure that these guys are going through Right. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah, I love watching like obscure sports for that, like like bowling. <laughs> it's not that obscure. Yeah, but, darts. But bowling, bowling's uh, another one that you know. <laughs> you know, all kinds of things like that. Um, okay, so I had another question for you. Um, that this is actually a a question for both of you guys. Um, and it was that the the kind of protocol for practice is what what it sounds like is coming through is about four hours a day to achieve like an elite level, right? This elite level I would imagine is the Blake Jerome, the Geisebuehler, uh slash possibly the Perkins uh level of shooting is roughly 4 hours a day. Um I, I go on. No, go ahead. Go oh, ahead. I was just going to ask is that 4 hours of practice? How much of that uh is muscle memory, shot training, uh shot process training? Um, blank bail, you know, like hardwiring yourself, and how much of that is building confidence for the mental game? Because I, I have a feeling that, oh, because 
for myself, when I was shooting all the time, I'd, I'd get off work and I'd practice. The next day I would go practice, or the day after a tournament I would go practice. And it was like, I, I like I knew I know I will be better. I know I will be better because I'm doing this. You know, like a lot of that was reinforcing my own mental um, my own mental game for the next event. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm wondering how much of of your practice that four hour practice, if that's even a reasonable question. Maybe it's not a reasonable question because maybe it's not. You know, maybe your guys' practice is more focused or not but i'm i'm curious as to how much of that practice is physically making you a better shooter and how much of that is making you a better shooter mentally uh you want to go first sean sure um so (laughs) so when it i personally have rarely been a blank beller which is probably a, a downfall of me because i get bored super easy um and so i've in my lifetime of shooting, I've probably only spent a few hours blank bailing. Whereas Blake, on the other hand, is is very, very into the, you know, under like the blank bill aspect. But like to me, like say when I was shooting two, three hundred arrows a day, you're talking, you know, three to four hours of practice on average. Mm-hmm. Now, I had in that time, I might shoot 10 arrows that I wasn't aiming at the dot just to kind of loosen up. Mm-hmm. Okay. After that, it was score around, score around, score around, score around, score around, score around, right? Just boom, 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 keep scoring, keep scoring, keep scoring. Now, in my opinion, what your, you know, your, your question is whether it's, it's trying to, uh, you know, build the motor memory or the muscle memory or the mental strength. I think you're doing both Mm -hmm. at the same time, right? Like when you are shooting two, 300 arrows a day and you're scoring every single round, you are building mental strength. Now, I think that you have to also, in turn, practice the mental game, right? You have mm-hmm. to practice the visualization. You have to practice the breathing routines. You have to practice the the positive self-talk and all these different things. Uh, where a lot of people go wrong is they don't practice that after they're done shooting. So, like, you know, it, I think that once you get to a high level – you don't necessarily need to shoot four hours a day. I think that you need to shoot a lot still, but I think that you need to shoot really, really, really high quality shots. And then you need to train your brain still. Mm-hmm. That's okay? what I was getting. So, at. This is what I'm, this is what I want to hear, Sean, that keep going. I'm listening. So, cause here, here's the deal is I don't have the time to shoot three or four. I mean, I, I let me go, let me go back. I don't make the time to shoot three or four hours a day anymore. Right. Like I would have to get up at four in the morning, like Blake does. And I already get up at six and I don't like getting up at six. (laughs) So, you know, so, um, and then at night, like I get home from work at, you know, anywhere from five to six o'clock. I enjoy spending time with my daughter. I enjoy being around my family. So like I've been dedicating lately an hour to an hour and a half, every every night or just about every night to shoot mm-hmm. okay and in that time frame i can get about 100 to you know say 150 arrows off if i'm really shooting a lot right and and but what i've really been focusing on is getting 90 arrows scored mm-hmm. right so like shoot around because since that's the next thing that i'm shooting i'll shoot around and then i want to shoot 90 perfect feeling shots right and if I can shoot 90 perfect feeling shots, I feel like I'm doing more good to my shot 
than I would be just to stand there and shoot 200 half-assed mediocre shots, right? right. Um, and so I think it just kind of depends on who you are and what level you're at. I think in the beginning and and at, in those 10,000 hours that you're that you're training hard to get to that elite level, I think you need to be shooting a shitload of arrows, mm-hmm. two, 300 arrows or more. Um, but I also think that you need to be spending a minimum of, you know, a half hour to an hour training your brain alone with no bow in your hand, mm-hmm. you know? So like what I've been doing lately is like I lay in bed at night, right? Cause like, I don't always just fall asleep right away. So I lay in bed and I have vis- visualizing myself shoot a perfect 900. Okay. Now, am I going to go shoot a perfect 900 this weekend? Chances are low but I'm going to visualize the fuck out of it anyways. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I want, I want a trick or, or not trick, but I want to ingrain into my self image that I've been doing it over and over and over. Right. And then, and that, that builds that self image that builds that confidence that just makes everything that much easier. And so at the end of the day, I, I guess to circle back on it is I don't think you need to shoot for four hours a day. I think that it doesn't hurt. But I think that if you don't have the time to do it, you need to shoot perfectly great, like these amazing feeling shots and just ingrain that really good feeling shot into your shot pro- or, or into your self image or, or excuse me, into your motor memory or your muscle memory. And that will also, you know, make you a good shooter. I, I would agree. I would agree. And, and it's not to take away from Blake's practice protocol, because I believe that I think to get to that point that you're talking about, Sean, I think you have to have put in the four-hour work days for, you know, X number of years mm-hmm. to build that kind of, uh, my buddy calls it shot equity, where you, you know, you've, you know, you've taken so many shots that you are, you know, familiar with what you're doing. You don't have to, you know, you're not going to yeah. go out there and punch a hinge or something like, you know what I mean? Something crazy like that. But Well, and, and here's the deal is if I did shoot for four hours a day, I guarantee you I would be better. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right, so right. I know that it wouldn't hurt. I just, it, it's just like, I don't necessarily think that you have to do it. I just think that if you have the time and you have the drive, then yes, do it. But like, if you don't just focus on really, really good shots, you know? Um. So that kind of leads me to a, a question for Blake. Blake, how much time do you put in doing visualization and like the positive self-talk and things like that? Uh, a, a ton. I mean, <laughs> that's one of the big things I do. So, uh, to kind of to kind of respond to what Sean said, I, I mostly agree with everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I I I do think studies have shown that the better that you get at something, the more the more that you have to do to get even better. So, you know, when you start out at something, if you were say say let's use golf as an example, if you've never golfed before, twenty minutes of lessons a day. And you're going to rapidly get better. Mm-hmm. But after a few weeks, 20 minutes a day isn't going to get it done for you anymore. And now you might have to do an hour a day on the driving range. Mm-hmm. Um, and the better and better and better you get and the closer you get to the most elite levels, the more that you need. So, um, you know, look, looking at myself this year, I averaged what was it? I just did it just the other day um, for my safari scores. I was like a fifteen thirty five point seven average. Mm-hmm. Right. So my average was very, very high. And to get 
next year, if I want to break a 1536 average, I need to do more and more and more. So if I was only able to shoot an hour a day, I don't think that I would increase my average, but that's at the highest levels, right? So what, what Sean is talking about, I think is more the everyday average person. But I think that if you're talking about like a Chris Perkins, I'm sure that Chris Perkins probably practices more than he would than he would lead on. Right. I'm sure he shoots a ton Um, because you have to if you want to maintain that level. So kind of what I do, um, I wake up really early every day and my morning session is all blank bell and I will I will I will die on that hill. I think that blank bell is one of the best things that you can do for yourself. Um, And I'm, I'm telling you, you know, I was I was. I don't want to say lazy about it uh, the last couple of weeks, but I didn't do as much as I normally would do. And and that is to say, I didn't do 300 arrows in the morning. I did like 120. Um, and I, I didn't shoot a bad field round by any means this weekend, but I wasn't, my field round wasn't in the 90 X average where it has been the last couple of days. I have shot a thousand blank bell arrows, 500 each morning. And my first time outside tonight actually shooting 80 and scoring i was like oh my god this is why you blank bell like i mean a 35 centimeter dot and i've wadded like every single arrow in the x at 80 yards on a 35 centimeter two and a half inch dot right like 15 arrows in a row were x's right and it's like that's why you do that and for me it's it's not so much i mean i want volume i also believe that each shot has to be high quality shots but for me it's about trying to be more and more and more efficient every single day, trying to be cleaner, trying to get it to be come so mindless that when I do aim at a target, it's easy, right? Mm-hmm. The, the aiming right. is easy. And then not, not only that, but when you blank bell that much, you're really building and working those stabilizer muscles that helps aim mm-hmm. a bow so well. And so many people will watch me shoot a bow and they're like, oh my God, you hold like a rock. And it's like, yeah, because I shoot a ton of arrows and the stabilizer muscles, those little muscles that most people in the world don't use, mine are very strong because I shoot a heavy bow and I shoot a lot, uh-huh. right? Yeah. So I can aim that bow really well. Um, so I'll do that in the morning, usually about 200 blank bell arrows. And then, you know, I'll go to work and then spend time with Levi in the evenings. And then right before dark, usually Trina, uh, after she's done doing everything that she's going to do, she'll usually go outside and shoot her bow. And that's kind of the benefit of having a wife that shoots, right? Because we can do that together. So then we'll go out and we'll shoot about an hour and we'll stand out there. And that's when I actually aim it and score at targets. Um, Generally, I don't shoot anything close. I'll only shoot at like 80 yards. Uh, And it's kind of... It's almost like I'm blank bailing, but I'm shooting at a bullseye and scoring. It's just sitting there. And, and when I sit there and I shoot long distance at a bullseye, I shoot very, very slow because every single arrow I sit there and I close my eyes and I see exactly what I want to have happen. I visualize myself doing it. I take a deep breath. I, I see what I want to happen. And then I draw back and I try and execute that one shot. So to shoot a full quiver of arrows, I think I got like 21 fletched arrows right now. It'll usually take me like 20 minutes, you know, 20 minutes or so to shoot one end because I do it very, very slow and methodically. And I see exactly what I want to have happen. And then I draw back and I execute that one shot. And then I reflect on that shot a little bit. Okay, what went right? What didn't go right? Was that shot exactly what I wanted to have happen? Did I execute it the way that I saw it in my mind? Right. And I try and answer those questions for myself. So I'm very, very slow and methodical about the way that I practice outside. 
but when I blank belt, it's much faster. I, when I'm not aiming at a, at a spot, everything usually happens pretty clean. Um, mm. and, and there is no hesitation. There's nothing like that. So on that, I'm trying to perfect things like grip pressure, anchor points, like Am I doing everything exactly robotic every time? Does it feel exactly the same every single time? Yeah. So the the way the the morning session and the the evening session is they're different in the way that I approach it, um, and and they're very they're very different. Uh, I'm trying. I'm, I've got different goals in each practice. You know, in the morning it's more about volume and just working on the mechanics of the shot. In the evening, it's much more about mentally seeing it and then executing what I mentally saw. Um, yeah. As far as laying in bed and actually thinking about shooting, I don't do that as much as I should because I don't sleep a lot anyway. So usually as soon as I get to bed, like <laughs> I'm out, uh, you know, I literally sleep like four hours a night. That's it. <laughs> but uh, so. So don't, don't like I and I like I totally 100 percent agree with you. And I I fully believe had I implemented more blank bell routine into my practice when I was younger, I probably would have just been even that much more of a, of a top level shooter, right? Because what you're saying essentially, right? So in sports psychology, there's no such thing as muscle memory. Okay. Like your muscles don't remember a goddamn thing. Your brain remembers how to trigger your muscles to do the exact same thing, right? So what you're doing, what you're doing with blank bell is you are, you are strengthening your motor memory so much that when you go out to shoot, it cannot do it wrong, right? Like it's just so ingrained that it's perfect every single time, essentially. And then what you're doing in the evening by doing the visualization, seeing it, you are also now, you are teaching your self image and your subconscious mind exactly what you want to happen right and by visualizing it your conscious mind is the only thing that could get in the way right so if you sit there you visualize it now you are consciously telling your subconscious what you want to happen and then you do it right and when you do that you have such a lower chance of failure right like you, you, there's just almost no way to get in your way Right. And if people understood that they like archery would be so much easier for most people because their negativity and their whole like, oh, shit, fuck, like I just broke, (laughs) you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, dude, don't even talk to yourself like that. Like, dude, I used to get pissed off at people back when I was like a teenager and early 20s and I was starting to shoot some really good indoor scores. And like, and I was battling that, that mental game and stuff, right? Like I can remember so many times where I was like clean through like seven ends and I'm like, oh yeah, baby, I got this. Right. And then somebody walks up and they're like, Hey bud, you still clean. clean? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, you motherfucker. Right. Like, why did you just come and like brain ninja me? Right. And, and then, you know, but that's part of the game and that's part of where the, the mental strength and like practicing a mental routine, like, you know, you just, you figure out how to, you know, make it through that still. But I can remember times when people would do that and I'd be like, dude, you don't fucking say that to people when they're, when they're shooting a great score, you know? And I mean, I, I upset a few people cause I was just like, bro, like you're a dick. That's not what you do, you know? And then they're just like, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean that. And I'm just like, yeah, like you kind of did, 
Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> yeah. In baseball, you don't even talk to the pitcher when they're throwing a no hitter. You know what I mean? Like everyone sits <laughs> away from them in the dugout, and it's kind of the same thing. Like, dude, if you know that guy's clean, leave him the hell alone. Let yes. him do his thing. You know. I think, but, uh, I think a lot of archery unfiltered listeners are the kind of guys that ask that. So this is probably a good thing. <laughs> this is probably a good thing for them to hear. You know, but to 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 kind of go back real quick, just to, just I just want to drive one point home that when I'm shooting at night, it's very slow and methodical, and I just want people to understand that with every single shot, and and this is what I tell the twins all the time, every single shot matters, right? Mm -hmm. Don't go through the motions on any single shot. Every shot, whether it's four yards or it's the 101 yard shot, it's the same shot and every single one of them matters. So be very slow and methodical, see what you want to have happen and then try and execute it. And then as soon as that shot breaks, analyze it Mm -hmm. and tell yourself, did I, did I do that correctly? Or did I not do that correctly? If, if you didn't do it correctly, then you need to tell yourself that you didn't do it correctly. Okay, that's not what I wanted to have happen. And then revisualize it and say, okay, this is what I would like to, this is what I want to have happen. And then execute it, right? Yeah, but yeah. it's it's so important to not just get out there. And this is where the whole this is where the whole volume versus quality shots come. You know, there's a there's a debate on that. And and I think volume is good. Quality is also good. And and when you're aiming at a target, quality is definitely better than volume. And when you're blank bailing, quality is very important, but I want volume when I'm blank bailing. I want to build the endurance. I want to I want to shoot enough that I'm doing like Sean said, and I'm teaching my brain exactly what I want to have happen. And you know, people so many people have it backwards and, and kind of like Sean kind of touched on. I mean, so many people you know, practice until they get it right. And what you should be doing is practicing until you can't get it wrong. Right. Yes. And, 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 and that's the difference. And that's the, that's the mindset of somebody that's shooting at an elite level is they will sit there and they will practice and practice and practice until they never screw it up. And that's really the difference between people that shoot mediocre scores and high level scores is that when I, you know, I, I was talking to somebody about this the other day. And again, I don't, I, I really try, I, I make a conscious effort to never come off as arrogant, but I mean, sometimes it might come across that way. But when I go to a tournament anymore, I know that I'm going to shoot a good score. Like I know, like I can't even think of the last time that I just flopped, like went to a tournament and just shot something terrible. Mm-hmm. Like that just, it doesn't happen anymore. I know that it won't happen. I fully believe that when I go to a tournament, I know that I will put up something big. Now, is it going to be big enough to beat some of the people that, you know, at nationals, you know, there's a ton of pros that shoot big scores every time as well. So that just because I shoot something big doesn't mean that it's going to win. And then now, you know, we got we got Bodie around here who also shoots big scores every time. So just because I shoot something big doesn't mean that I'm going to necessarily win. But I know every time I go to a tournament that I'm going to shoot something big. Right. It's very it's very, very rare that I don't. So. I, you know, I don't know. I, you have to get to that. I guess you just have to get to that level and, and have that absolute belief in yourself. Yeah. So in, in sports psychology, before, before we change subject, in sports psychology, there is no difference between cockiness and confidence or arrogance, whatever, right? Like the only difference is, is how other people, other people perceive it, right? Like obviously the arrogant people, you're like, fuck that guy. 
You know what I mean? <laughs> right. But yeah. the, the confident or slightly cocky people, like as somebody that understands sports psychology, when somebody's a little cocky, I'm just like, ah, kind of, you're, you're just kind of a cocky asshole, but I understand what it is, right? And there is no difference between con- confidence and cockiness. It's just, you know, people tend to like somebody that's confident more than they like somebody that's cocky, right? Mm-hmm. But like, there's truly no difference how your brain perceives it. It's just confidence. Right. I, I've also heard that, like, the definition of, oh, well, this guy's definition of arrogance was, like, unfounded cocky, cockiness. Like, a cockiness that came out of nowhere. It would be, like, the guy yeah. who shoots 280s on a Vegas face and is, su- is like, I'm going to fucking take everyone's money. I think yeah. that's the arrogant guy. I, I, I don't think, like, Blake, I, like, sure, maybe, you know, maybe you think some people say that, but... I don't think that's arrogant. I don't think the way you come off is arrogant because you've put down the scores to back up yeah. this confidence. It's just confidence. You know yeah, I, mean? I try. I, I I try not to, but there's this there's this absolute truth in archery, and it's probably true across all sports. But in archery, there's this absolute truth that the better that you get at something, the more people don't like you just because. Yeah, right. Especially the, the more people want to see you fail. The people, well, yeah, and especially it's it seems to be especially true with the people in your local area, right? Like, <laughs> I, I'm I'm serious. I'm it's not even a yeah. joke. I mean, uh, there there's people around here that do not like me for whatever reason, and all I ever try and do is help people. I give out free lessons, I give away free bows, I try and help people, but just for whatever reason. And you know, I read a thing one time that says that the reason that that's true is because these people are from your area and they know you came from the same spot and they can't handle the fact that you have succeeded and they haven't. Mm -hmm. Whereas other people, you know, in other States I go, you know, I go anywhere else and I'm, I'm people usually have no issue with me. So it's it's this weird thing, but it does seem to be an absolute truth that the better you get, the more people are just like, yeah, fuck that guy. I don't like him. (laughs) And I don't, I don't really know why that is because I'm the first person that will, that will, if we're at the range and you ask for help, I will put my stuff away and I will sit there and coach you for an hour. You know? So I, I, I generally don't, I, I'm not, and I think honestly where it comes from, and we've touched on this before is that when I go to a tournament, I'm, I'm hyper-focused. I try to, execute what I've been practicing all week and I don't sit there and I'm not super chatty. I don't talk to a bunch of people. I don't, you know, I don't go ask what scores people shot or, you know, I don't, I don't complain about things. If I don't shoot well, I just, I shoot my game. I try and stay in my, you know, try, try and do what I practice. And so many people don't like that. They want to see you be more chatty and more outgoing. And, but after the tournament, I mean, it's like, yeah, come up and talk and, you know, we'll hang out, we'll talk hunting, whatever. But during the tournament, I think people just, I, I, I have a feeling that where most of it comes from is that they just don't like the fact that I'm super, super quiet and maybe a little standoffish during the event. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, hey, yeah. that's on them. Dude, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Hey, yeah. fuck those guys. Yeah, fuck everybody. <laughs> fuck the world, man. Where, whereas, like, Sean, Sean, I mean, not to say that Sean's, like, super, super chatty at a tournament, but Sean is... I've always said that Sean's like one of the more likable people ever. Just everybody likes Sean because he's just outgoing and he's, you know, he's always smiling and talking to people. And it's like, people really like that. And they respond well to that. Whereas I'm pretty much the exact opposite during a competition. Now, now if we're, if it's just, you know, if we're out hunting or something like I'm the same way, but I just, I'm just not like that at competitions. I don't know. I just, I never have been at any sport that I've ever played. I just, you know, I'm, I'm trying to focus and execute, 
what I've been doing in practice all week. Right. right. Well, and everybody deals with, with the tournament pressure in a different manner, right? Like, like you are hyper-focused. So you're, you're quiet, you're doing your thing. You're trying to stay in your lane. Whereas me, like, I'm, like you said, I'm just an outgoing person. Right. And I'm, I'm a very talkative person as is. So like, I don't mind bullshitting with somebody during the middle of a tournament because it might take my mind off the little bit of, you know, nerves or whatever I have at the time, you know, or, or something. So it's like everybody's way of, of, uh, you know, dealing with the pressure, dealing with the tournament or, or, or making it through the weekend and feeling accomplished, right? Like just depends on who you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just your, it's just your way comes across to people a lot better than my way is all. And, right. and, and, this, and this guy's nice or something. Yeah. Right. Where it's like, that guy's a fucking, that guy's a dick. Like don't talk to him. Where it's like, it's, it's like, it's, it's not, it's not actually true. Like anybody that actually knows me, I don't think would actually say that, but right. Yeah. I don't know. It is what it is. <laughs> Well, dude, I I show up to events and I I run around and suck everybody's dick all day before you know it's time to start and, and then it's time to start. And I'm like, fuck, what was I doing? Why was I practicing? You know, practicing. What a fucking waste of time. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> like, I'm kind of like in the middle there of like, you know, oh shit, I should have done something. You know, I, I used to I used to just go right to the 80 yard. You know, because I saw Dave Cousins, he'll just. He doesn't go fucking bullshit with a bunch of people. He goes right to the eighty yard stake and just starts fucking pounding at the at the practice range. And then when he's done, he disappears. You know? Yeah. And I was just like, oh shit. Okay, that's what I got to do. Now I'm kind of like in the back nine of my you know archery. Fu- so I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go suck some dick for a little bit. But you know, uh, <laughs> I I definitely could see a world where I don't do that. <laughs> you know, in the future. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Try to get a, a little you. more serious about it. I think that like, like guys like Dave, like I, I like Dave a lot and I've always like, I've known Dave since I was like 14 years old. Right. And I've got to shoot with him quite a bit and like, it's his job, right? Uh-huh. It, it, he's so focused. He doesn't want to talk to people. I think honestly, most people just annoy the shit out of Dave because Dave is so <laughs> damn smart and he's won so much stuff that everybody has the dumbest questions for him, right? He's answered them 400,000 times. And so I think he just shows up, does what he has to do, and bounces because he doesn't want to deal with it at this point, right? Yeah. And so, you know, whereas like with me, like I I don't mind answering questions. I like teaching. I like helping. I like chatting, you know, to a, honestly at times a detriment because like you can ask Blake, like when we go to Vegas, like – or or whatever <laughs> yeah. tournaments like they're just looking at me like will you shut the fuck up dude like <laughs> let's <laughs> go we've been right. trying to go to dinner for two hours dude let's yeah. go right. and it, it's like every person that walks by they're like hey sean and i'm like oh hey dude you know and then i gotta chat with them for a minute and then they're looking at me like bro and like it they, i think after the first what it was like the first year of vegas and then all of a sudden it was like, okay, dude, we'll see you there. You know, like, and I'm just like, oh, okay, all right, guys, I got to go. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. That's just jealousy. <laughs> I'm, yeah. No, it is. Like, we'll have reservations for somewhere. It's like, hey, dude, we, we got to be, we, let's go, man. Like, we got to get seated. And, oh, I'll be right there. And then he's like 20 minutes late. <laughs> cool. Cool. Good times. Oh, that's great. But, um, let's see. Oh, okay. So I have like a couple qu- uh, like listener questions for you guys. Unless there's, is there more stuff you guys want to delve into here? Yeah, you're good. We're good. Okay. The first question is for Sean, which is, can you give us a beginner's breathing protocol? 
to calm us down. And it was like, uh, I, I par- I'm paraphrasing because the guy that had asked the question was like, hey, man, Sean L's episode was extremely helpful. Uh, the only question I have for him is, what's he do with his breathing? And I remember you told us mm-hmm. what you did with your breathing. But it was you had a series of things that you had done that you had developed specifically for yourself over a period of time, and this guy just wants yeah. a kind of like a happy meal version of that. If okay. there is so, anything like that, yeah. So there, like, like we had chatted about, is I have different breathing techniques, like depending on what I'm doing, right? So, like, I'll explain my breathing when I'm shooting, like actual through my shooting right so i'm not like i'm somebody that focuses a lot on the breathing aspect because it helps me calm myself down and control my mind and my body right so for instance if like when i draw my bow so before i draw my bow i will take a full deep breath in and exhale completely then i will draw my bow and as i as i hit the back wall as i'm drawing back i'm taking a full deep breath in again and then i'm anchoring And I'm coming into my peep as I'm anchoring and coming into my peep. I'm starting to slowly exhale. Okay. And as I'm aiming and pulling through my shot, I'm, I'm still slowly exhaling because what I've found with, with training breathing is that my body holds the steadiest and my heart rate is the absolute steadiest and lowest at the very end of my breath. And for about three to four seconds after my breath, before it starts to slowly climb okay so um that's that's kind of how i do it when i'm actually shooting okay now if i'm nervous or if i if you know that feeling like like you go to the tournament and for some reason this used to happen to me all the time the very first arrow i wasn't super nervous for until i until the shot fired and hit the middle and then all of a sudden my heart would race mm-hmm. like, oh, you, you know, you did it. You got through the first one. And then I had to calm myself down. So now in those scenarios where it's it's like a pressure shot or it's for the win or it's for a 300 or whatever it is, I use a four second breathing cycle. OK, and what I mean by that is it's four seconds in four seconds, hold and then four second exhale. OK, so it's truly a 12 second cycle, but we, you know, we learned it called, or in sports psychology, we, she called it a, a four second breathing cycle. So essentially you breathe in for four seconds and I'm not talking to breathe in. I'm talking diaphragmic breathing. Like you are breathing as deep as you can full, you know, ugly stomach hanging out kind of as deep as you can get your breath. Okay. But you do that for four seconds. So you got to get as much air into you as you can at four seconds and you hold for four seconds then you exhale for four seconds, okay? And what this does is that focus on that, that breathe in deep, that hold, and then that exhale, it just helps you not, like, hyperventilate. It helps you not, you know, breathe too fast and not get enough oxygen, but it truly will lower your heart rate super, super fast, okay? Mm -hmm. And so I I used to practice. I would, you know, a young kid, whatever, I would be in my room and I would do 50 push-ups, Okay, I'd get my heart rate jacked and then I would grab my heart rate monitor and I would do my breathing. And, you know, after 50 pushups, my heart rate would go up to like 88 beats a minute. Mm-hmm. And then I would do one of those 12 second breathing cycles and I could drop my heart rate from 88 to 60 in, in one 12 second cycle. 
Okay. Now think about how much that is beneficial in a tournament when all of a sudden your heart rate spikes, Mm -hmm. right? If you can do that breathing and then you can lower that heart rate down 20 to 30 beats a second or a minute, you're going to hold your bow steadier. Yep. Shoot off arrow is where that would would be super key. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And at the same time, like when I'm shooting indoors, like I will have my eyes closed. I will be doing my breathing. And then I'm also visualizing like Blake does when he's doing his, his after his night shooting is I'm visualizing what I want to happen. Right. I'm visualizing myself shoot that perfect inside out X. Mm-hmm. Right. And the combination of those two things just lowers the heart rate super fast, calms me down and lets me focus on the task at hand. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. That is perfect. That's exactly what I, th- I think. Uh, well, I can't speak for all of my listeners, but I know a ton of my listeners wanted something like that to take home with them and and right apply on. on the field. I think that was that was perfect. Yeah. Tell them they can Venmo, Venmo me my uh, coach. No. <laughs> um, I have a question for both of you guys. You guys could you know answer however you want. Um, this is a, a question from my friend. She asks, how do you get out of a rut? And I think she feels like she's in a scoring rut. Like she mm-hmm. shoots for score all the time, and her scores kind of are plus – or it's, it's actually like plus zero, minus two on average, I think. And – I can tell it's kind of getting to her right now. It's been this way for about two months, and she's wondering, what can I do? How, what, what do you guys, uh, experts as you guys are, what would you guys say? I'll let Blake take this one first. Yeah, so for, for me, I think that when people get into ruts, what for, for one, it, it's really good to have somebody that you trust that can coach you, right? You should You should always invest in yourself and have somebody else, another set of eyes, take a look at what's going on. Um, but for, for me analyzation is so so key and i talk to this i talk about this all the time like she needs to be able to identify what's going on like wh- where are her weaknesses to get to a high level in archery you need to be able to self-identify what's going on mm-hmm. you know I, I i get frustrated with trina all the time because you know she'll she'll shoot a bad arrow or something i'm like okay what happened she's like i don't know <laughs> and it's like okay well you got to give me more than that. I can't work with that. Right. So, you know, you've got to be able to analyze yourself to be able to even understand, you know, what's going on, Um, you know, because is it an execution issue? And without seeing her, you know, it's really hard to, to say what it is. Is it an execution issue? Is it a, a, you know, maybe the bow isn't set up the way that it could be. Maybe she's struggling and working against the bow. Maybe, you know, maybe something's off. So it's it's kind of a hard question to answer unless you can see, actually see her and see what's going on. So I would definitely recommend finding somebody that she respects that is is a good shooter that is in her local area um, or, you know, me or Sean do, you know, we do the FaceTime lessons. But it, it's really beneficial to have somebody that's right there that you can depend on, especially when you're coming up and you're, you know, so for me, it was always like Sean and Kit, like, hey, tell me what I'm doing wrong. Tell me, you know, what mm-hmm. I'm, I'm stuck. I'm plateaued. What's going on? What do I need to do? Right. And so just having that uh, is something that I, I think would really, really be beneficial. But and then going back to like what I always say, and again, I always, always, always will always preach blank bail. So you cannot get worse at shooting a bow if you're blank belling every day. It's right. not possible. So if she sits there and really works on the mechanics of her shot, because I'll tell you, 
what separates elite level shooters from everybody else is always, always in the execution. People that are at a very elite level are very, very robotic in the way that they execute a shot. Mm -hmm. When you watch, if you look down the pro line, right, especially the pro line on day three of Vegas, all the guys that are about to shoot a 300. If you watch all of those guys, these guys are robotic. Mm -hmm. You they all look exactly the same on every single arrow. It's, it's crazy to watch, right? So doing, doing that blank bill work is where you're teaching yourself to be robotic. And like I tell the twins all the time, every single aspect of the shot matters, grip pressures and anchor points and back wall pressures and follow throughs, everything matters. And that's where you learn it is by blank bailing. And that's why I still blank bail so often is because even at the level that I'm shooting at, I know there's room for an improvement and I know that I could be better at it. And I know that the more robotic that I get at it, the higher my scores will be. And so if sometimes when you're in a rut, you have to find a new way to practice, right? If you're doing these same old things every single day, you can't expect the results to just automatically come, right? Don't, don't get upset. Don't get upset you know by the results that you're not getting from the work that you're not doing right so do the work and and do the practice and really sit back and analyze yourself and ask yourself am i doing enough am i you know how much am i practicing i don't know who this is i don't know how much she's putting into it i don't know what she's doing but is she doing enough you know and like i was telling the twins the other day like only you know if you're doing enough right, right. so you know so i mean i guess that's kind of where i'm at it you know, she really needs to find somebody that can put a set of eyes on her and, and kind of help her through that. A lot of the times archery is one of those things that's really, really hard to get there on your own. I know that I couldn't have done it on my own. If I didn't have somebody guiding me and teaching me the right way in the beginning, I, you know, I, I would have been lost. Right. right? Because there, it's, it's just, there's just too much. It's overwhelming. It, it's true. It's truly overwhelming. So you need somebody that you trust and respect to kind of point you in the right direction. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree. Like I, I always talk about Emerson being my coach and, or, you know, for lack of a better word, being my coach and being the guy that mentored me through the sport. And so I, I fully understand the importance of that. Um, well, isn't it weird how archery is like the only sport in the world where it seems like people almost look down upon the fact that we should have coaches <laughs> like it's really really weird like dude every other sport in the world has coaches right. and it's completely normal these tiger woods has like four coaches oh, right yeah, like yeah, yeah. these guys <laughs> all have coaches for each aspect of the game and then in archery like people almost are like like if you're like oh yeah i'm being coached by this guy they're, they're like wait what and it's <laughs> like yeah dude i'm trying to be better right <laughs> yeah. it, it's just so strange I and think hopefully it, that will change, but I think archery yeah. has a weird coach stigma because of all the pedophiles that are diddling up uh, <laughs> uh, hot young archery girls. So, uh, you know, or you know, maybe the ugly ones too. But um, I think you know, uh, I'm not against coaches, and and there is also the whole level four thing. I think the USAT's kind of. Or, or not USA, I, I USA am not archery. a fan of USA archery yeah, coaching. They've anything. kind of bastardized the whole thing also. But yeah. I think as far as you guys who are kind of like battle worn, you know, you guys are kind of like Vietnam vets, you know, and for people that are just getting off the helicopter, you guys can 
really guide people. You know what I'm saying? Well, you wouldn't go to the gym and get try to you know go lose sixty pounds and your your trainer weighs four hundred pounds, right? Like, <laughs> like really, like you, you know, you yeah. should you should walk the walk and talk the talk, right? Never like, take you want advice to coach from people, a, yeah. Never take advice from a fat guy. Weight loss advice from a fat guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know, it's like it's like anything. You know, if you want to be a bodybuilder, well, your coach better be a freaking you know a bodybuilder or used to have been a good bodybuilder. You know. Mm. Like, well, that's, like, that's exactly why I say find somebody that's better than you and that you respect, right? Mm-hmm. So somebody that, you know, knows what they're doing, right? Because everybody in archery has an opinion and all of their opinions are right, right? Everybody right. thinks that they're, everyone in archery thinks that they're right and they know what they're doing. So for me, and it's kind of a weird thing that so many people in archery want to go out and be these online coaches, right? Like, you know, they're making these comments on, on, on forums and all that. And it's like, didn't you drop 200 points at Reading? Like, what are you doing? (laughs) Right. You know what I mean? Like, it's a weird thing to me. So when I started and just like, I've told everybody the story so many times, it was like, wow, you're really good at this. Sean, teach me. Like I, I went to the guys that were the best. Like, right. hey, you guys are you guys are winning everything. I need you to teach me. Like, I'm not going to go to the guy that was one place above me mm-hmm. just because he's a nice guy, right? right. I'm going to go to the guy that's doing what I want to be able to do, right? right? And it's the same thing with, like, if you're going to be a bodybuilder, go to the guy that is already a bodybuilder and he's already succeeding at that and pay him to do lessons, you know? So, yeah, yeah find somebody that you respect. And, yeah, it is a weird thing that people don't want coaches, you know, because – I, I guess I didn't have like a a coach per se that I used every day, but I paid Sean several times for lessons, right? Because I was always the type of person where it's like, hey, I don't want to take up your time for free. I want to give you money for, for your time, mm-hmm. but I do want lessons. Like I need you to teach me. And I made Sean walk the course several times with me. And it's mm-hmm. like, hey, I'm going to shoot this course and you're going to tell me what I'm doing wrong. Like, you know, <laughs> and, and that's kind of where it started for me. And it was, you know, and I, I'll never forget standing up there on what was it b2 on skookum when when you were like yeah you're a puncher here watch me do it and then watch you do it and and we videoed mine and we videoed his and then he showed me and i was like oh god that was you know and punching you tell somebody that they're a puncher it sounds so derogatory it's it sounds like it's it's like it's like such a dick punch right and and it was too he told me i was a puncher and i was like so offended like offend like hurt feelings almost right and it's like what does that mean like i thought i was shooting pretty good like i wanted you to tell me that i was good at this i didn't want you to give me the truth right so but you know so so i got a truth bomb and it was like okay this is what you need to do and it was like and and i'll never forget sean saying you know, shoot a hinge and it's going to take you a year to master. And I was just like, ah, it ain't going to take me a year to master this thing, dude. I'm going to do this eight hours a day. <laughs> like, and then I swear to God, like in two months, I was shooting that thing really well. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, so and I was no, you know, I was no longer punching, but yeah, you know, I, I had a coach to start out with mm-hmm. and you know, the, the twins have a coach and you know, so I, I don't know. I, I think it's important to have a coach, especially in the early years. Yeah. 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 I, I think a mentor to guide you through, a lot of the bullshit that you know inevitably inevitably gets tossed onto new shooters, you know, yeah, is, yeah, exactly. is important. You know, that can keep you from buying a bunch of green knock-on bullshit. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah. And even on a, even at a high level, though, right? Like, there's been times where, like, like our buddy Kit, right? Like, I would be like, "Hey, dude, video me shooting," 
right? Like we're, we're sitting in the range, we're shooting you. We cause we used to go up to knock point when he lived up North and we'd shoot till two, three in the morning at knock point. And I'd be like, dude, video me from this angle, this angle and this angle so that we can sit there and we can watch the video. And then I want you to tell me like, if I'm doing something different, right. Cause you know, like it's like you don't always feel it right away and you sure as shit can't see yourself from a third person view. So having somebody that is going to like you trust, but is also going to be honest with you. Right. Like that's why, like I told Blake straight up, like, yeah, dude, you're punching because if I would have just sugarcoated him, like, dude, your shot looks really good. Like he would have gone on thinking that in for who knows how long until some other person was like, dude, you're punching. And then he would have been like, Sean, Sean fucking lied to me, you know, like, (laughs) And, and, it, telling him, and, and tell him it's all and, good and, isn't helping him well and that's exactly it and not only you know and that's what i was just going to say is that had he sugarcoated it i would have went on doing the same thing and i would have eventually developed some major target panic and and, and, and you know so sometimes in in archery and coaching and anything in life you know that the truth stings and when i was told that i was a puncher it stung but it was eye opening to the fact that like, Oh, okay. I, I understand what you're saying. Okay. You know, and then he explains the idea of why we don't want to punch and why it's so important to not punch. And then it's like, Oh, okay. You know, because that was a world that I had never been introduced to. I had no idea that we needed the bow to essentially shoot itself. Like I, you know, I didn't understand that. And so being, having him be honest with me, was was essentially day one right that was day one of where real target archery started for me like okay now i know where i'm at now i know where i want to be and here's how i'm going to get there and this is this is the plan and i'm going to execute that plan right so again going back to the the lady that had the the question about how to get out of a rut you have to have somebody that can that can be honest with you and sometimes it's going to sting you know somebody might tell her like hey dude you're punching like mm-hmm. you know you're you're doing things incorrectly and and uh this is how you you know this is how you're going to get out of this rut and this is how you're going to get better mm-hmm. right and so find somebody that knows what they're doing knows what they're talking about and will be honest with you because i feel like especially with women a lot of people want to they do want to sugarcoat it because they don't want to hurt their feelings or whatever right and you know like with the twins from the very beginning you know they're 10 years old and i'm like okay you guys really suck at this so here's <laughs> what we need to do right like from 10 years old i'm just like yeah you guys are terrible here's what we need to do <laughs> right and and like i never sugarcoated it i was just like i will tell you that you guys did good if you did something good if uh-huh. you don't do something good i will tell you that you did it poorly and you know and i will tell you how we can fix it and we'll always analyze it and i will i'm not just going to be mean to you i'm always going to give you a solution on how to get there and how to fix it but i'm also not going to sit here and tell you that you did awesome when you didn't do awesome right right and and so and i think that's very beneficial to people because i don't i don't want somebody to praise me it feels good when somebody tells anybody (laughs) you know it, it feels good when somebody tells you that you're doing well everybody likes a compliment but you know, you you want compliments when you actually do something well. If if you're if you're just being lied to, it doesn't help you. So, yeah. Well, in, at, uh, in Vegas, that kid that shot off against Michael Braden for like the 10k shoot off, I can't remember his name, but there was like a curly haired kid. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, Sullivan, I think so. And uh, me and Austin yeah. had seen him earlier at the airport when we first flew in. And you know, Austin Watts was like, "Hey, man, that's that you know such and such kid." Uh, Sullivan kid and I was like oh uh can I beat him I was like can I beat him at indoor 
I was like, I could take that kid, right? And he's like, no. And I was like, no, no. No. I was like, oh, what? What? Come on, man. I mean, to, 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 I mean, to, if it makes you feel better, it, none of us can. So, yeah, yeah it's all good. Hey, man, indoor season hasn't even started yet. Yeah, I, it's pretty good. That, he's one of those kids that's like banging out 30 X's every time. No, oh, all I want to do is beat uh. kids this year. That's my only goal. <laughs> just crush children. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so I got one more question for you guys. Sure. Um, how do you stay mentally engaged after a long day so that you shoot your last shot as strong as your first? Mm, that's that's a good question. Yeah, I yeah. have a good friend who um, is about to go to Mechanicsburg, and he's told me – like, this is not his question. It, this is just a reoccurring thing that has come up that I've noticed, and he has told me, like, at the ends of field rounds, towards the end of the day – He's pretty much just trying to get it over with. Like, it's, it, you know, high volume of arrows. He's like, fuck this. I just want to get it over with. And he's not so, so, giving those shots, you know, their respect, I guess. So my, my answer is pretty short, and then I'll let Sean go. Um, to get through a field round, you have to be shooting more than 112 arrows a day in mm -hmm. practice, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Because otherwise, a field round feels terrible. You know, we just shot field in Idaho this weekend. And for me, uh, uh, honestly, shooting a field round is a day off, right? Because I shoot way more than 112 arrows a day. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, oh, 112 arrows is easy, and I'm able to stay mentally engaged. If you're only shooting 50 arrows a day, field is always going to be hard for you. It's always going to feel like a marathon. It's going to feel like an impossible round that by the end of the day, you're just trying to get it over with. Mm -hmm. If you're shooting 300 arrows a day, field's a day off, right? So <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm serious and I, and I don't know how else to say it other than that. And then the, and then the other thing is that going back to the way that I approach the game, every single arrow matters to me, every single shot matters. So the first arrow means just as much as the last arrow to me. And so every single arrow I'm going to sit there and there's no time limit in field. So I shoot field pretty slow as well. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to sit there and I'm going to look at the target. I'm going to quickly see what I want to have happen. I'm going to visualize it and I'm going to draw back and I'm going to do it. And, you know, field, it's only four. I mean, it's a lot of arrows for the day and the round takes a long time. But, you know, keep yourself fueled throughout the day. Make sure you're having some snacks. Stop for lunch, you know, halfway or whatever. Keep yourself you know, keep, keep the blood sugar levels, right. And, and do all that, stay hydrated, but it's, it's four arrows with no time limit. I mean, it's not like you should be getting super, super tired because it's not like you're shooting 50 arrows real quick and then going to the next target and shooting 50 more arrows. I mean, it's, it, I don't know. In in my mind, if you're shooting a lot in practice and you're shooting high volume and that's where I think, again, the blank bell really helps me because I shoot so many arrows a day that, field just it's it's not a struggle to me like it is to everybody else i love field it's my favorite round for that exact reason because so many people find it to be this this hard endurance race mm -hmm. and for me i'm like yeah, yeah this isn't this isn't that big of a deal uh the guy that was second place this weekend he shot really really well the first half and then fell off right and uh it is is exactly that reason you know, uh -huh. he started getting smoked at the end and started dropping a lot of points. And the pros, you know, we score X's. So you got to continue to shoot the middle of the target. And uh, I continued to shoot the middle of the target and his X count went down. Right. And and so for me, I'm pulling ahead. And uh, it, it's for that exact reason. I mean, you, you, you've you got if you're going to shoot field, your endurance has got to be high. You got to shoot a lot. Yeah. Were so. you kind of pissed when the NFAA was like, we're going to make it three arrows a target? 
Yeah, I definitely don't want to see that. Yeah, I, me I like field. I like field the way it is. I was like, don't, I, don't I, nerf I, it, man. Yeah, don't don't make don't dumb it down, right? And don't take away all the rules that make sealed what field is, you know. So yeah. leave it the same. It's been around for like a hundred years. Just leave it the same. Yeah, exactly. So Blake's answer is very very similar to mine. Like, I, absolutely, I've seen that a hundred times. Where is you know you you end up just slowly getting tired throughout the day, and then you start missing and missing and missing and missing more and more and more as it goes. And my very first thing is exactly the same as you need to shoot more arrows because you're just getting tired. But two, I learned at a very young age, like the guy that I ran around with shooting quite a bit when I was younger was very on top of fueling your body, right? Like you need to be eating the right stuff. You need to know what you're putting into your body and you need to be hydrated, right? And so like I am incredibly particular about what I eat for breakfast in the morning Mm -hmm. and then what I'm generally eating throughout the day. Now, obviously like, you know, I, I, I'm not saying don't have your Mountain Dew if you drink Mountain Dew every day, but like, you know, be on top of it and have a routine. Like when I was shooting my best scores, I had the exact same thing for breakfast every morning, Mm -hmm. every morning, French toast. French toast. <laughs> yeah. French toast with sausage and eggs because I was getting the carbs and the sugars that I wanted. Mm-hmm. I was getting the protein in the eggs and, and the meat. And I knew exactly how my body was going to react that morning and through the next few hours. Right mm-hmm. now, once you got, once I got through that, plus it also, it, it set my mind off on the right step in the morning. Right. Cause like if I just snatched up a, a McDonald's freaking, mcgriddle and i ate that well my stomach might be hurting and now i'm full of a bunch of grease and nasty stuff and now my i'm not holding as well right so find something that you know works for you and do the exact same thing every single time but don't forget to eat throughout the day so many people like all they do right is they they might eat breakfast and then say for Reading, for instance, right? Like it's generally a semi-long day and it's going to be kind of hot. So what do they do? They eat their breakfast and then out on the range, they crush a Mountain Dew and a Snickers bar. <laughs> and then and then they wonder why they just plummet, you know, halfway through the day or three quarters through the day. Uh-huh. Well, dude, you just drink a shitload of sugar, ate a big candy bar got a sugar high for one or two targets and then are coming back down. Right. Right. So I, I, I tell people eat small stuff, snack throughout the day, right? Like nuts. And you know, if you want to have a Snickers bar, fine, but eat half of the Snickers bar and then put the rest in your, in your damn pouch and eat it in seven more targets. Right. Like, you know, and, and make sure you're slowly putting stuff into your body throughout the day so that you can maintain those energy levels. Cause yeah. one, once your blood sugar drops, it's going to take you a while to kind of get it back up, right? So, like, you you don't want to see it plummet and then try to bring it back. You need to just be on top of it throughout the day. Um, so that's what I would t- say to that person is basically, like, one, they're not in good enough shape when it comes to shooting that many arrows. Maybe physical shape, right? Like, like a lot of people struggle, like, if they're – you know, heavier set, right. And you're walking a really, really hard field course. Well, it's exerting your body more. Mm -hmm. So you're going to end up more tired. Right. And I'm not saying you need to be some fit ass person to shoot good at archery, because obviously that's not true, but 
you know, if, if you know, like you don't generally walk four and a half miles a day, but you're going to go walk some crazy hard, you know, field course in Darrington or whatever, like, yeah, expect yourself to start getting tired towards the end of the day. You know, like you just got to be realistic. Yeah. No, I, I am a fat guy, so I, you know, I I can, um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I slimmed up a little bit. And dude, do do either of you guys partake in Mountain Dew? I don't. That, so I I used to crush, but I'm not allowed to anymore. <laughs> I say that's a particularly white trash drink, dude. I don't think <laughs> you seem a little classier than that, <laughs> bro. I I used to be a Mountain Dewaholic. <laughs> like, yeah, I'll, I will take all white trash of that. Like, I love <laughs> Mountain Dew, um, but I don't drink it anymore, and I'm I'm I don't drink a whole lot of soda anymore or any anything like that. Like, um, but yeah. Dude, like Mountain Dew was my go-to. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah! You should have. I, I should have had a freaking Joe Dirt mullet and everything. <laughs> you you kind of you you kind of have before. I I have actually. He, yeah, that's he, true. He he had the uh, the Joe Dirt. It, his beard grows in a lot like Joe Dirt, right? So <laughs> I mean, it's perfect. You let it grow out, and dude. I you yeah. play the part. I had a mullet last year for Vegas. I'm right there. Nice. With but I'm kind perfect. of I'm brown and fat, so I just look like a native. Um, okay so here's a question that you guys can opt to to throw away or not um but what do you guys think is the best way to tune like what is your personal optimal way to tune a bow for forgiveness and i know Hmm. it kind of goes against what we've been saying so far so if you guys want to say like oh come on get no it's no i'll answer anything Um, yeah you know, again, I think we've talked about this before, but I'm real big on bear shaft tuning. Mm-hmm. Uh, I th- I think that's where you get the most forgiveness out of a bow, in my mind. Um, and bear shaft with a yoke, uh, Blake. I I will use I, I will use any tool that I can to to get it, whether that's yoke or with the rest or with the draw weight or with the arrow spine or the tip weight, whatever I can do to build a a bow and an arrow combination that will leave the bow as clean as possible. Right. And that's, that's, that's all I'm looking for. If I can get a bear shaft to be able to group with flat shafts at 50, 60 yards, there is no way in my mind that you can get an arrow to leave a bow more efficiently than that and, and cleaner than that. Right. And so for, for me, that has produced the best tightest groups at long distance and the tighter your group is, the more inherently forgiving that you are because you can make a little bit bigger of a mistake and still catch dots. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, I can't, I can't tell you how many, I'm, I'm really, really big on making sure my marks are absolutely perfect. I think that you gain points on the field if your marks are perfect, mm-hmm. right? Just, just because it does give you more forgiveness. Yeah, right. And that, that's another, definitely forgiveness you know, and sight marks. Right. So you have to have a perfect sight tape. So if my sight tape is perfect and my bow is perfectly bear shaft tuned to where at any distance, my bear shaft will hit with my flat shafts. I know that I'm going to shoot the tightest groups that I am personally capable of at my skill level. And the, you know, just the tighter the group is, the higher the score is going to be. There's a direct correlation between that. You know, if we can shoot one arrow, you know, one whole groups at 80 yards, then you're going to hit every single dot that you shoot at, um, you know, for the most part. Um, 
as far as doing something funky that just magically makes an arrow find the dot, even though you made a bad shot, I don't know that I really believe in that anyways. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people, a lot of people, when they think of forgiveness, they think of you can make a bad shot and the arrow still somehow finds the dot. Well, that's, (laughs) that's, that's not a real thing. That doesn't happen. (laughs) Right. So, so when I think of forgiveness, I think of just trying to shrink my group size Uh and, and there's a difference between shrinking the group shot size with your skill level and shrinking the group size with the equipment. So I practice every day to be able to get my groups to be tighter and tighter and tighter by my skill level alone and my and, and the cleanliness of my execution. And then I work really hard to make the bow so efficient at shooting that arrow that the group sizes are inherently very tight. You know, if you were to put it in it like a hooter shooter where there's no human error, it would essentially shoot one whole groups. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's what I think of forgiveness. Anyways, forgiveness is nothing more than making the bow shoot the tight, the absolute tightest groups possible. That way, when you do make a bit of a mistake, you don't miss by as much. Right. 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 Yeah. yeah. So for me, I am probably one of the worst people to ask about <laughs> tuning and things like that now. What's interesting is when I was younger, I honestly, I mean, I would tune my bow, like group tune it, and I would do things to it until I felt like it shot, you know, good for me, right? Mm -hmm. So now as I'm getting older and I'm shooting less arrows, I am absolutely 100% into what Blake is talking about in the sense of the better my bow is tuned, the better I shoot. And here's a, a just a prime example. So after Reading, uh, I didn't pick my bow up for about a month because I was busy and stuff. And I went to the range and I'm shooting with Kit. And Kit grabs my bow and he shoots a group and we're shooting at 60 and he shoots a group and he goes, your bow is like like shooting terrible. And I'm like, what do you, what do you mean? And he's like, I just shot like six or eight shots broke dead center and the group size is like a softball and those should all be touching. And I'm like, Oh, I'm like, well, shit, I don't know. You know, like what the heck? So he, he like looks at it while I have it. And he's like, dude, why are you so knock high? He's like, your rest is so low. What, it, what, what's going on? I'm like, Oh, I, I'm like, I don't know, dude. I just like kind of put it there and, and it shot. Okay. So I just left it. And he's like, what in the F right. And so, I'm not kidding you, dude. My arrow was like three quarter inch knock high or more. And I shot Redding that way. Okay. (laughs) And so I shot a 1519 in Redding. And now, and the whole time as Kit's telling me this stuff, I'm like, holy shit, I've been shooting this thing, not even remotely close to tune. And now I'm thinking about all of these arrows that I shot at Redding that I missed (laughs) that I felt like were decent. And I'm like, what the heck? So I bumped that sucker way, you know, way up, three quarter way up, start shooting it. And he's like, that looks better. And then I'm sitting there chatting with him. And I've never been a torque, somebody that torque tuned. I honestly used to not really believe in it because I'm like, dude, I hold the bow good. Like I don't even torque, torque the bow, whatever, mm-hmm. you know? And so I'm sitting there talking with him and he's like, he's like, just try torque tuning it. And so I draw the bow back, shoot an arrow in the middle at 60. And he's like, okay, now torque it to the left. And it shoots like eight inches to the left. And then he, he's like, now torque it to the right. And it shoots like eight inches to the right. And I'm like, he goes, okay, now, like, and I don't, I'm shooting one of the spot hog swap rests, so I don't have a ton of adjustment back, but I had about a quarter inch of play that I could play with further back. So I moved that thing a quarter inch back 
And he's like, okay, now do it again. And I torque it the same amount, and I hit just out of the X on the left. Mm -hmm. right? And then I torque it to the right, and I hit just out of the X to the right. And I was like, are you freaking kidding me? And he's like, what? And I'm like, I honestly didn't realize that that was truly that important, right? And so now I'm like, holy shit, dude, how many times have I – how many better scores could I have shot throughout my career of shooting – had I had just focused a little more on this stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so now like I, I was shooting today and yesterday I shot really good and I walk out onto the, the range over here today and I'm shooting at 60 and I'm breaking what I feel like are really good shots. And I'm starting to get like this vertical group, right? Like from bottom of the 120 centimeter t- 10 to top of it and a few low out of the 10 and a few high. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, I'm breaking like what feel like really good shots. And I look at my bow and I'm like, I look like I'm way knock high again. Right. And I haven't changed anything. So I bump my rest up like three quarters of a line and I shoot my next group and it's like instantly wads back together. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. what the hell? Like it is truly that important. And I think like it, I wish that back in the day I would have spent more time thinking that it mattered spent so much time just shooting being like it's the indian behind the bow but had i put a little bit of effort into making sure that my bow was just dialed i probably could have shot just insane scores Mm -hmm. yeah and and that's where i think forgiveness actually comes from is just getting a bow that groups as well as pop you know that that shoots an arrow out of the bow as clean as possible i i've i've always in in my mind that's what's going to group the best I, I've seen so many people say that, you know, oh, my group, my bow groups better if it's a knock left hair or whatever. And I just I, I disagree. I, I feel like that's probably a placebo thing. Like, I always disagree with that. I feel like it's like, eh, it's a placebo thing. Like your brain thinks it groups better. So you, you just run with it and, you know, whatever. If that works for you, then fine. But for, you know, if you if you if you logically think about the physics behind a bow and arrow. If you can get the arrow to leave the bow perfectly clean, right, super clean and straight, that's where you're going to shoot the, the best, tightest groups. And if you can get a bear shaft to fly perfect at 60 yards, then the veins are only there to correct mistakes, to correct mistakes right. in your form and your execution, which will keep it closer to the dot. It'll it'll shrink. It inherently shrinks the group size. Right. So. All I'm ever trying to do is make the bow shoot the tightest possible group that it possibly can. That's that's what I think forgiveness is, right? And then the rest is on me, and I will do all the work and the practice to make myself as as perfect as I possibly can. And then those two things combined is going to equal a pretty good score. So, but yeah. yeah, it's just you know, just like Sean said. I mean, you know, I've seen Sean shoot some great scores in the past that probably could have been four or five points better if he had perfect arrow flight, if he had a bow that shot a bear shaft perfectly. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's just, it's just like, and you see it, if you're a long range rifle shooter, you know, you can, you can draw some, some parallels to it because every barrel, every rifle will prefer a different type of powder or a different weighted bullet. And when you find the right combination, that same rifle that was shooting a one inch group at a hundred will now shoot a quarter inch group at a hundred. Mm-hmm. Right. And so now that rifle is now inherently more forgiving. 
right? Because now at a thousand yards, instead of shooting a 10 inch group, I'm going to shoot a two and a half to three inch group at a thousand yards, right? So my group sizes are better. Scores are going to be better. I have more chance of, you know, hitting an animal at that distance or a target or whatever it is. And it's the exact same thing in archery. A, a bow is going to prefer a certain spine at a certain draw weight at a certain length. And when you find that combination, the bow will shoot that arrow better and it will shoot an inherently tighter group. And that's what you have to find. Oh, yep. I gotta get, I'm going to get on it. <laughs> I've been a paper yeah, guy. You. I've been a paper guy, but I'll give it a whack. Uh, you know, it, if you spend some time on it and you find the right combination for your setup, I swear to God, you'll shoot, you'll shoot better scores. I take, do you do the same but, with indoor arrows as well? I do, I do. The and and the year that the year that I started bear shafting, this this is kind of something that I just honestly came up with on my own. I know that there was other people that did it, but one year I was just like, you know what, I'm gonna try bear shafting because in my mind, logically, this makes sense. If I can get this thing to come out of the bow without a vein, imagine how great it will be with veins, mm-hmm. right? So the year that I started doing it, I went from being right on the cusp of like 1520s to high 1520s on a safari round. So, I mean, in, in, it was like overnight, I gained like seven, eight points. Right. And, and I didn't feel like I was shooting the boat any different. I felt like I was making and breaking the exact same shots, but now all of a sudden those arrows that were just out were just in. Right. And that makes a difference. I mean, think, think of how many arrows you have just barely catch and then think of how many arrows you have that are just barely out right we there's always arrows in a tournament that are just barely out if you can get those just barely outs to be just barely in you're you're gonna score a lot better hell yeah hell yeah yeah man the only okay last question i have for you guys is uh what what do you have going on after i know sean you said you have the the 900 coming up Mm -hmm. what are you guys doing after that like what what are you prepping for after I won't. I won't be shooting the 900. I'll be. I'll be going to Mechanicsburg. Um, You're doing field. Doing field. Uh, after after that, and I don't know. I think I think I'll probably switch over to the hunting bow and get that thing ready. Um, I got a bunch of cameras out for elk right now, so I need to start focusing on that. Um, and then I guess it'll be pretty much indoor. State targets usually my last one, but since I'm not doing that, I think uh, it'll just be hunting and and switching over to indoor and and getting going on that. Hell yeah. Yeah. I think for me, I'm going to shoot the 900 since I'm not going to field. I'm going to shoot the 900. And then I think I'm going to actually go shoot, hopefully, the the Northwest Mountain Challenge up at Stevens Pass the weekend after that. Um, oh, that'll be cool. Yeah, I haven't shot one yet. And it, it just, it's been something I've been wanting to just go do for fun the last few years. Um, plus, the payouts are decent. Um, yeah, that'll so, be a good one. Yeah, I was like, oh, that sounds kind of fun. So I'm hoping that we can go get up there and do that. Um, and then after that, it's pretty much the same thing, kind of bust the hunting bow out, start getting that thing set up and ready. And then, um, yeah, you know, hopefully whack, whack something in September and then <laughs> get, get going on the indoor season. Hell yeah. I, I've already started deer hunting. So <laughs> that's, that's another reason why I'm like so lax on the podcast right now. But, man, I was – I was really excited to get you guys both on and um, I really appreciate you guys coming on and taking time out of your days to uh, help everybody like this, myself included. Yeah, this yeah. has been, this has been a fun one, man. I think these round tables are, are kind of a cool way to, to do a podcast. Like I know that I want to keep doing this format, you know, where you can get a few people on and you can bounce ideas off of each other. I think that's, 
I think that's kind of a, a cool way to do it. And I think it, you know, it, it can be, you know, you can kind of learn as you go and you can, you can feed off of that and, and uh, you know, get some other perspectives as you're kind of thinking and, and talking about your own ideas, you know? So I think it's cool. It's the first one. This is our true and filtered first for, for me. Yeah, so. this is cool. Yeah. The round table, man. I think, <laughs> I think they work. I'm going to keep doing those too. Cool. Yeah. Well, Hey, thank you guys very much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah man. man. Uh, if you guys want to, um, I, I mean, I know you guys are busy, but I guess if people want to find you guys, you guys are on Instagram, you guys are on Facebook, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can always hit me up on Facebook. Cool. Yeah. That's, on, that's the one that on, I use, so. Yeah, I mean, I have an Instagram. Um, rarely ever post, but, I mean, if you're on Instagram, you can DM me if you have a question. But, yeah, Facebook's going to be the easiest one as well. Cool. Yeah, any any messages, just send me a message. I, I don't always respond immediately, but I do always eventually respond, so. Hell yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you guys very much. Yeah, of course. All right. Yep, yep. Thank you guys. Cool. Yep. All right, no man. Have a good Bye. night. Have a good night.